Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast. With your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dimitri Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy Pete Blackburn. Pete, I feel like we've been friends on the internet for what feels like a lifetime now, but this is somehow the first time I'm having you on the show, and I think the first time you and I have ever really collaborated on any content, so uh, it feels good. What's going on, man? It's good. I was actually thinking about it last night and like how uh, we're sort of on the same wavelength. We have the same like uh, sense of humor, and we've been yeah. friends, like you mentioned. This is the first time we've actually spoken. It is, yeah. We've never met at any of these uh, at any of these games or any of these events. So, uh, yeah, we've been kind of circling each other on the internet for a while, yeah. and now we're finally making something happen. This is good. Um, we're going to do the 2016 World Cup of Hockey, uh, Team North America versus Sweden. It's funny because it's one of those games where, in the grand scheme of things, it was a round-robin game, and Team North America, who wins this game, doesn't even make it into the semifinals. So I guess it's not like an important game in the history of hockey, but kind of the undertones and sort of the people involved and what it meant for sort of foreshadowing where hockey was headed in the next four years. Uh, it is a really important game in my opinion. Yeah, same. And uh, you know, when they think of when, at least when I think of the 2006, uh, 2016 world cup, I think of TNA and when you think of TNA, this is probably the game that you think of. So this, I mean, it's, it's a non-important game in the, in like the, the scheme of the tournament, I guess, right. but just in the in the grand scheme of of the World Cup and what it was able to produce in terms of storylines, this is the most important game, I would say. Yeah, the thing that bugged me was I remember it as TNA too, but then the uh, we watched the the Sports Night broadcast and their Chiron thing had it as NAT instead of TNA. I wonder if they couldn't get the oh, branding or something from uh, from TNA. But um, so it's good. Yeah, you and I uh, we don't have to. I'm, I'm, we're not going to record the video for the show, but I'm wearing a. Uh, a Team Canada shirt. I know you're a proud Team USA guy, so we don't have to uh, to bicker about that because we can we can uh, kind of combine our allegiances just like Team North America did and and get the best of Canada and the best of US Young Guns, and right. it'll be exciting. Um, I, before we get into it, I just wanted to remind everyone: hope everyone's staying safe. Watch some of these classics with us. We've already got five of these PDOcast rewatchables in the archives. Uh, please take some time to go leave a rating and review as well. It's really appreciated. So let's get into the categories and the legacy of this game. And I think we kind of already touched on it a bit, but why did we, why did we pick this one? When I, cause when I suggested you and I should do a rewatchable, you were excited about it. And then when I suggested this game, you were on board right away. When, uh, when I suggested this game and what were your first thoughts kind of remembering it, where you were at, why this was an important one to you? Uh, I don't remember exactly where I was at uh, watching this game game um but i i mean i do remember just like the excitement surrounding this team in the tournament and uh you know just how exciting it was and how chaotic it was and i i sort of i know that this team is a lot better than like the world juniors and and stuff but like one of the biggest reasons why i loved this team is a big reason why i love the world juniors because it's a lot of imperfect but a super exciting fast-paced hockey uh where things kind of get opened up a little bit and it's like high event hockey um, so like, the, like 
it, it's been a while since I've revisited uh, TNA. So when you mentioned this as a, as a game to watch, I was like, hell yeah, especially now where I'm kind of uh, thirsty for hockey. And I was telling you, I'm not a big like rewatch sports kind of guy because yep. a lot of it is um, like the unknown and, and sort of like the randomness to it. So if I remember how a game goes, pretty pretty unlikely to watch it. Obviously, I remembered how this game ended, but a lot of it before that um, was was unknown. And watching it again was like watching it for the first time. So I was very, very, uh, very, very happy that I was able to rewatch this. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. I think not knowing how it's going to end, especially like with, with important playoff games and stuff like that, that's why we tune in kind of the drama of it. I, I think just the, the storytelling of this game was, was so perfect where, you know, if you talk about how like a style makes a fight, it was such a perfect, uh, comparison of like this, like veteran, uh, mm-hmm. scrappy Swedish team that had two years prior in Sochi, uh, made it all the way to the gold medal game. And it was pretty much the entirety of that team was brought back for this tournament. And then on the other side, you've got this like ragtag group of young guys that were just put together from two different countries. We hadn't even seen Austin Matthews play yet in the NHL. Connor McDavid, I think only had that 45 games or so in his regular season. So it was a lot of unknowns and you wouldn't know how these guys would mesh what it would look like and i remember when this tournament was announced and you you had like team north america team europe i, was, I thought it was like kind of gimmicky and i was like uh, i don't know how much the players are really going to care it's right before the regular season so i don't think anyone's going to be going full speed and trying to get injured out there i think it's going to be kind of like a preseason exhibition but as soon as these games started i think especially with this team north america group like they were just so young and fast and happy to be out there that they almost couldn't play at anything other than max speed and and you saw that in the first couple minutes of this game where they just come out and the swedish team just like takes a hell of a haymaker and they're almost stunned to see what this team's doing to them many swedes are now the lockdown kings of the hockey world they seem content to play every day with a one to nothing lead they challenge you to try and beat them Team North America should test the walls of the Swedish fortress today with speed and skill and spades. But can they be patient, practice enough patience not to fall into the Swedish trap? Yeah, and I remember a big, big part of um, like the storyline surrounding TNA was that like a lot of players were, were upset. They were upset that TNA existed because yeah. they weren't able to play for their countries. Um, and so, like, I think that there was a lot of discussion about how what, whether it was good for the tournament or, or not. But, I mean, you watch the first 90 seconds of this game and tell me that you're not in love with TNA. I mean, come on. They come out of the gate. They score in the first 30 seconds. I mean, they start the they start the game. With McDavid, Matthews, and Mark Shifley. And obviously, like, we have the benefit of, of hindsight, yeah. but, like, unbelievable. What a line to start that game with. Are you kidding me? Yeah, you just got three, not even number one centers, but, like, maybe top ten centers in the entire league yeah, just playing right. on the same line. And, and yeah, the what age, one of the sneak ahead, one of the what age the best for me was just, like, this team's center depth where you have those three guys. They, there's too many centers, so they just play them on the wing. You've got McKinnon playing on Nugent Hopkins' wing. You've got yeah. Eichel as your third-line center and Jean Couture as your fourth-line center. It's kind of comical in Absurd. hindsight, but that's where they were at. And, and I don't know, yeah, the, the first couple minutes of this are great to me and i think when where i was at was i remember i was i like i said i was kind of skeptical about how fun this tournament would be so i remember this game was like a matinee game for for whatever reason they were playing it at like noon pacific time and so i was out and about doing a couple uh errands and then i just turned on twitter and everyone was talking about it and i was like okay i I need to go home quickly and watch this because it sounds like complete mayhem and it lived up to that once i tuned in but it also feels like this was like a gifts were already pre- prevalent but i remember like this game it just felt like everyone was giving the crap out of it and it was just, like you, like every single highlight was documented and it felt like beyond the players themselves we were at this tipping point for where like hockey coverage was headed as well in terms of this modern 2020 approach we have yeah for sure and um just being like the gift guy at the time for hockey right. twitter um the I swear the the McKinnon not to skip so far ahead but like the McKinnon overtime goal uh was like 
one of the most aesthetically pleasing, uh, satisfying gifts that I've ever made in my life. Yeah. Uh, just like pull it, pulling the drag back, just missing the poke check from Lundquist. Like that slow motion replay was born for Twitter. And uh, and like it, it, it definitely popped off. I remember that uh, when I shared it on Twitter. But like, yeah, I mean, this was a, a really great team for the sake of, of uh, being a hockey gift guy for sure. Um. I recommend everyone goes uh, if you want to get more into sort of the uh, where we were at in this time. Craig Custins did a great oral history on the athletic in 2018, I believe. And it was interesting seeing, um, you know, we talk about how this game was kind of symbolic of like this young next generation of players that were going to come and take over the league and Matthews, McDavid, um, McKinnon, Eichel, so on and so forth. But it was interesting seeing like all the older coaches and executives that had helped put this team together talk to Craig in that oral history. Like you've got Dave Tippett, who I think is generally considered as this kind of old fashioned defense first coach talking about how like this team was just so fast and so dynamic that they couldn't do anything other than just get out of the way and let them play that way. And I think maybe like if he had his choice, he'd, it was a bit too risque for him, but he just acknowledged that this was the only way they really could play. And so it really did kind of help. I think seeing the success, it was, it, you don't want to draw a huge like takeaways from three games, but I think seeing just how crazy all these guys were together, it did kind of help usher in this new wave of like, teams embracing that you can win with speed and skill um, as opposed to the way that hockey had been played because it was still at that tipping point like now in 2020 everyone is pretty much playing that way but back then there was still this kind of grinded out mentality in a lot of teams yeah and I mean you imagine telling like Connor McDavid that he can't just win an opening (laughs) face off and split the defense right down the middle and uh, like I just can't imagine even if you are a defensive minded coach uh, telling that group of guys to to like rein it in, pull, pull it back, you know, work slowly, be methodical, be surgical. Uh, it's just like not the way that it would have worked. And I mean, and beating a team like Sweden too, I think is, uh, I mean, huge. Like, like you mentioned at the beginning of the, this podcast, I'd be like that, that team was respected. That team sort of, sort of had that methodical approach and you know, this team proved that you can go right at their throats and, and, you know, play fast, play loose, play, open up the game a little bit and win it that way. Uh, obviously it wasn't a perfect game and they allowed, you know, Sweden to climb back in, but I mean, you prove that you can, you can do that in a, in like a run and gun sort of way. All right. What age, the, what age the best for you? I've got a couple things here. Is there anything that sticks out to you on this rewatch where you were just kind of blown away by, um, where we were at back then and sort of how it's aged over time with the benefit of hindsight? I would say, uh, I mean, I would say three on three overtime. I mean, uh, that was pr- relatively new at the time. Yeah. I, I remember being pretty excited about it. Um, and I don't know, was this like, was this the first season that they instituted three on three? We we had had it in 2015, 16. So okay. we had like one season of it and it was still this like ball of energy where coaches hadn't had the full summer yet to kind of sink their claws into it and slow it down. So I remember that first season, it was like pure mayhem. The teams weren't right. even doing the thing where you kind of pass it back out and change. Like they were just going full <laughs> steam ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Every single shift. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was uh, that. That is age well for sure. I, I still love three on three overtime. Um, I, I want more of it uh, whenever I can get it. So I would say that's aged pretty well. I mean, a lot of the guys on on TNA roster obviously are are great and have only gotten better since this tournament. Um, mm-hmm. So those are the two that have stuck out. I, I'm very excited to share what hasn't aged well. Yes. So, but I'll let you go first. Yeah, the three on three overtime. Um, on the opening face-off of it, you've got the Sidine Twins and Eric Carlson versus, uh, like, I think it was, like, McKinnon and Goodrow and and Morgan Riley or something. And it was just, like, it was an insane combination of talent. And we also never, because we don't play the playoffs with three-on-three overtime, we never really have this kind of, like, for a regular season game, you get the point already. And then if you lose in, in overtime, it's whatever. You're not really, it's not a huge deal. In this case, it, like, it was such an important outcome that uh, we'd never really seen this combination of players on the ice together with so much free space, but also the fact that um, like the goal actually something. mattered. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the significance of it was huge. Um, what I have that aged the best was just the buzz in the crowd. Like, I think it's maybe because it's been almost two months now since we watched the hockey game, but uh, there was a certain energy in the air and 
it led to my kind of most unanswerable question of how has the NHL not tried to replicate this since? I understand that Seriously. with the CBA uncertainty and then with, you know, the the sponsorships and the money and making sure everyone's getting a fair cut and the NHLPA being worried about insurance and players getting injured and on the company diamond and so on and so forth. Like, I, I completely get all of the logistics, but this was such a smash smash success and maybe it was, was kind of lightning in a bottle, but I do think that there was a formula here clearly where, um, especially putting this young team together that added all these extra storylines. So for me, it was, it was the energy and just sort of the novelty of this, how fun it was to rewatch it, the nostalgia. Um, and it made me think of like, you know, there was a ton of Swedish fans there. They were all decked out in Swedish gear. And then there was obviously it being in Toronto, a lot of North America fans made me wonder like, what's an empty playoff game, empty arena playoff game going to look Seriously. like in comparison to this? Because after every single big goal or big play, it reminds you of like how important that sort of atmosphere is to the whole viewing experience. So I'm sure we'll get used to it. Uh, and it's going to be a necessity, but it really kind of hammered that point home to me. We're just watching this. There was a there was a moment early in the first period where um, I think it was like in the first 90 seconds or so where they showed a, a crowd shot. And I, I like I, I noticed this girl in the crowd and it's almost like you could tell in that moment in that crowd shot that like she's realizing just how good this team is. <laughs> it, like her face was like I, I think she like mouthed the words like holy crap or something. Yeah. And they caught it on the on the broadcast cam. And I was like, that's awesome. That's amazing. Like you literally captured this moment for posterity. This girl realizing like, wow, this team is so much fun and that she's going to get to enjoy like an incredible game here. So like that, that was really, really cool for me. Yeah, they were this uh, kind of like hipster uh, bandwagon team. I think Nathan McKinnon aged the best because this was still yeah. at a time where you know, he came in with a pedigree. He was the first overall pick. He had an awesome 18-year-old season in the NHL. But for three or four years there, he couldn't stay healthy full-time. He was playing on these kind of crappy teams. Team it was, was like trash, yeah. Him or Matt Duchesne, who's the leader of this. Like, it, it, And at this point, he, like, I don't want to say that this experience changed stuff for him because that 2016 season for him still wasn't good and the Avalanche were historically bad. But you hear all these stories about how like young players, especially like an NBA where like all these guys who go play with team USA with like LeBron and Wade and so on and so forth, they like get together and they learn all these new training techniques and they see from some of the veterans, how they're preparing for stuff. And, and it adds a whole new dimension to their game, or maybe they pick up a new move or a new skill. And for McKinnon, it always felt like on these international events, he'd like go represent Canada in the world championships after the avalanche would get eliminated. And he'd kill it playing with great players. And you'd just be like, Oh man, if we can just channel international event, Nathan McKinnon into a full NHL season, it'll be great. And then shortly after this, he just explodes in the past three years. He's become a perennial heart favorite and one of the two or three best players in the world. So this was still a time where we were unsure what we were going to get from Nathan McKinnon. And he quickly answered that he was going to be able to channel this energy and do it over the long haul. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I have for like my biggest uh, like my biggest growth player. Um, it, you know, it's I remember at the time knowing that he was good. Obviously, he was a top pick, and um, you know, he was a big part of the, the um, Avalanche's future. But I didn't realize that he had the ability to like turn it on as much as he did and you you kind of see that in this game he's dominant at points yeah. and obviously he gets you know the biggest highlight and it's an incredible display of skill but yeah i mean this was a, a real turning point moment for me in how i viewed nathan mckinnon um and also like you mentioned the fact that like they they can learn new things from from these other great players but i also think that there's a, a, an element of getting a taste of success with a team that is very, very talented and competitive. Um, Like obviously the avalanche were terrible and uh, at the time. Um, And I think that that can be really discouraging and that can have an effect on a player, no matter how good he is and how, how skilled he is. Like if you don't enjoy coming to the arena that every day uh, you're not going to, you're probably not going to be playing to the best of your abilities, especially if you don't have the talent around you. Like I remember being at the all-star game uh in the middle of um, the middle of that season where the avalanche were historically bad. And like I was in Nathan McKinnon's scrum and he, he wasn't even having fun at the all-star game. He was like, you could tell that like he was being asked questions about it. He was, he was dreading talking about Colorado. He was dreading talking about his season and just like how much, fun he wasn't having. So I think that that can, that can be that can have an effect on guys, no matter how talented they are. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it's crazy seeing how he exploded. Like, we knew he had it in him, but he goes from 
14, 21, and 16 goals or his three <laughs> previous seasons, the 39, 41, and then 35 in the shortened season. So yeah, quite the, uh, quite the step up for him. My last, what age the best was I already kind of hinted at this idea of how styles make a fight, but just watching this, um, and in the oral history team, Sweden talks about how like they just took this punch right out of the gate and you can watch on tape how fast McDavid is, but then you actually play against him and it's like this entirely different phenomenon. And I think for them, you could kind of see it on their faces after the first minute and a half when they're already down and they've given up another penalty shot to Goodrow and they're just like, how the hell are we going to do this? But then the fact that it speaks to, um, I know people are going to roll their eyes, but kind of that championship mentality or having them having been through it before, but this like team Sweden team clearly kind of recalibrates this speed and then eventually gets team North America to play at the tempo they want them to play at. And yeah. I love that kind of push and pull of like teams trying to dictate uh, whose terms the game's going to be played on. Did, did this game, uh, did this tournament, did they allow fighting? Cause I know international rules kind of like diff- differ. But this is like know. an NHL sanctioned tournament. Yeah. There was no fight, obviously, yeah. but like uh, with how how fast North America came out of the gate, and then obviously, like you mentioned, like Sweden tried to get them to adjust and play to their style and their speed, and uh, getting them on the on the penalty kill was huge for Sweden, and they were able to to get them on the penalty kill a few times in the first period and really sort of recalibrate the game and recalibrate the speed. Uh, I, I wonder had fighting been allowed or even if it was allowed like that there's there's an argument i know people love to to say that like fighting has no place in the game blah blah blah. but like that's that's sort of a moment where you would like to see a fight or something like that to slow right. things down to and just sort of things, grind yeah. grind this team into the into the into the ground so um yeah i mean like that's something that i would i would now i'm interested to know if that was uh that was legal yeah there was this it reminded me of like watching teams play the chiefs in the last NFL postseason where like they could score so quickly that the other team had to like perfectly and methodically do so many things just to do what they could do in one quick play. And so like for Sweden, it was like, they were like grinding them so hard and you'd get the cities out there and they were still on, they're on their last legs at this point, but they were still dominant cycling the puck and you do all this stuff. And then all of a sudden Seth Jones would get the puck and do an outlet pass and you just have a breakaway, like in, within a blink of an eye for team North America. And you'd be like, this is just two entirely different animals. But the fact that it was so close spoke to the brilliance of sports and hockey that you can win in multiple different ways, right? You don't necessarily have to play just one way. So, um, I loved watching that. What, what age the worst for you? Let's get into, uh, let's get into that category. Uh, the goaltending situation aged the worst for sure. Uh, during the broadcast, they were talking about how they were surprised that uh, that Matt Murray didn't get like didn't get the starting role for that team. And right. you look at the goaltending depth, and they got John Gibson, who's one of the best goaltenders in the league. I don't care what his what his stats say. I mean, obviously he plays on a on a terrible Ducks team that doesn't give him a lot of help, but he's one of the best goaltenders in the league. Connor Hellebuck is having a, an amazing season, and I think a, a huge step forward for him this year. Um, he's been the, probably the best goaltender in the league this season and then you got Matt Murray who's been totally up and down but you know at the time he was coming off a, a huge run with the Penguins and and uh was was their goaltender for for Stanley Cup and so uh like stock was so high on him at the time and they were talking about how they were super surprised that he wasn't the starting goalie for that team and watching back on it I was like oh wow okay okay yeah. <laughs> that, that hasn't aged super well for sure yeah, well, because there was a one point where Team North America was up eleven and one, eleven to one in shots, and I think they were up two nothing on the scoreboard. And John Gibson basically hadn't had to do anything, and then he gave up a really bad goal to Forsberg, and he looked, he definitely looked shaky out there. Like as the game went going went along, he tightened it up, he made a bunch of key saves down the stretch, and in overtime, he like stopped Daniel Sidin on a breakaway, and so he certainly kind of righted the ship. But at the start there, it was very bu- bumpy waters, and you had Jim Houston and Craig Simpson just going off about Matt Murray had like a finger yeah. injury or something, and they were like, "How different would this be if Matt Murray was in there?" <laughs> and they were basically, they were basically, that- they were basically like, "You just put any shot on net against John Gibson because he can't stop yeah. anything." right yeah. now and they were basing it off of like 30 games of matt murray being really good obviously and winning a stanley right. cup but we know um and at the time like john gibson had been had been great but he's basically just been low-key like one of the best goalies in the league ever since and and they were acting as if he was like this ultimate weak link that was gonna do them in so i think that's a good one um what age the worst for me here's a great one and you have a personal attachment to this louis erickson 
Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a walk down memory lane here. So Sweden's top line in this tournament is the Sedins with Louis Eriksson. And now keep in mind that this summer, Louis Eriksson's coming off a 30 goal season for the Bruins. The Canucks give him a 36 million dollar deal, and the idea was we're going to bring him in and we're going to play him with the Sedins and we're going to create this magic. And so in this tournament, Team Sweden's trying to make this happen and everyone's, and they actually look pretty good in this game and everyone's like thinking like, man, Louis Eriksson and the Sedins, they're going to be magic together for the next six years. And um, it has not aged particularly well, I'd say. Like he was 31 at this time. They gave him a six-year deal. He scored 37 goals since then. So he's been paid $36 million to score 37 goals in four years, 89 points. So I'd say uh, what age the worst, just top line Louis Erickson playing with the city. And I think this was still the time where everyone was saying that Erickson was like the most underrated player in the league. And uh, the wheels came off of that entire sort of trajectory pretty quickly. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you don't have to tell me. <laughs> As a Bruins fan, I've kept close tabs on Louis Erickson. Uh, you know, the the debate of uh, who the Bruins should keep that, that offseason uh, between or, or who the Bruins should take that offseason between David Backus and Louis Erickson. I mean, looking back on it. Neither. It's a, it's a real tough choice. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, I mean, you could also have Andrew Ladd, Kyle Capozo. I mean, it was a great, right. great summer. Um Philip Forsberg is playing with Nicholas Backstrom, and they're great in this game. They're probably Sweden's like best pairing, and it's just like, man, this, they could have done magical things together on the Capitals for a long time. So mm-hmm. that kind of aged bad for me because I was just sad to see that. Um, Austin Matthews pre-mustache. Oh, yeah. yeah. The mustache I mean, is aged uh... the worst. He looks like a normal <laughs> guy in this game. I don't know. I like the mustaches. It gives them character. Uh, I, I One of my, uh, like, I don't know if this is necessarily like aging the worst, but I... I totally forgot that Brandon Saad was on this team, mainly because Brandon Saad had been around uh, for for a while. And he was even on the Blue Jackets at, at this yep. point already. So, like, I totally forget how how young Brandon Saad is sometimes. Yeah, he was coming off a 30-goal year for them. I think it was his, like, best offensive season. Um, yeah, their fourth line was Brandon Saad, uh, Sean Couturier, and JT Miller. And mm-hmm. it's like, especially now you see JT Miller, what he's done with the Canucks this year and Sean Couturier, obviously. And, and they clearly had more offensive growth, but it's also one of those like lines where they just win every single puck battle. Um, so, oh, yeah. uh, another thing that aged really poorly uh, during the broadcast, they talked about um, uh, about how much uh, the, the Panthers love Vincent Trocek. Uh, and uh and and how and how well that was going for for florida so uh that clearly hasn't hasn't panned out so well uh for for the panthers yes yeah um so you own uh team north america merch right i sure do yeah is it the dark jersey no it's the white one yeah in this game yep um I understand uh, why. Here it is. Yeah, you're showing it to me right now. Beautiful. Um, but it's not a great jersey. I uh, I disagree. I like it a lot. Uh, I I do like the black ones better. Um, yes. But I think that that uh, th- there was like a lot of uh, a lot of cri- criticism surrounding those jerseys and those uniforms heading into this tournament. Um, but I think that they were perfect for like encapsulating what this team was. It was new. It was different. It was uh, like sort of like cutting edge, and uh, it, it grows on you. So I, I think that it was perfect for this team. I mean, it kind of looks like the final product of a graphic is graphic design is my passion meme. It's like <laughs> I don't know who put this together. The letters are wonky. I'm looking at it right now. The go gray patches on this on the on the shoulders. It has like know. the Roman the, the Roman numeral twenty three uh, <laughs> on the crest, which is pretty lame. But uh, I mean, I like it. They sort of look like practice jerseys. I won't yeah. lie; they look like practice jerseys. The white ones do, at least. Um, but I, I think that they're I think that they they're perfect for this team. I mean, this, I the, really do. The kits the Swedes are wearing in this game are so beautiful. They're like that I don't, crisp I yellow and blue. Oh, I disagree. I disagree. Like Pete. I love. I love the colors, uh, and I love the like Sweden's logo, mm-hmm. uh, the Trace Kronos or whatever yep. it is. Um, 
it's it's one of the best in international hockey for sure. But like this iteration is pretty bad. Go go and look at their socks. Look at their socks. Their socks drove me crazy during this game. It, it looks like it looks like that team is wearing yellow calf socks because there's like it just goes up barely above the skate, and it looks like they're wearing calf socks. It's it's terrible. Advantage team team uh, TNA in this in this. Uh, I mean, you're a bit biased as the jersey is hanging behind you at this time, but yeah, all right. I agree to disagree on that one. I think um, no shot counter on the broadcast. Like occasionally they flash what like who has what, but I remember um, I was working for Sportsnet at this time, and I would very aggressively and actively push for them to uh, to get the shot counter on the broadcast. Finally, it happened in the 2018 playoffs, and now if you watch a game on Sportsnet, they have it full time. Uh, every broadcast should have the shot counter. It drove me insane watching this game, not knowing where I was at. I understand it doesn't necessarily tell you that much, but it's just like a good thing to have in the back of your mind and kind of helps remind you of where the game is at in terms of a uh, who's dominating perspective. So uh, that aged the worst for me because I don't want to watch a single broadcast without it. Okay, yeah. I, th- I thought that the broadcast uh, didn't age too poorly. Like it, you can watch this game and, and feel like you're yeah. you're watching it on TV basically like right now. Um, so uh, aside from that, I thought that the broadcast was was age pretty well team tna's defense like their actual defenseman mm-hmm. um ryan murray r- uh, there's a lot of ryan murray um shane goss despair this was like yeah. i mean we're gonna get into apex mountain later this was like peak everyone loving shane goss bear jacob truba um even morgan riley it's it's i get it like they went with uh you know guys who had an offensive touch to them because it was just the identity of the team and they wanted to get the puck to them and there's seth jones and colton Preco and they've obviously aged very well but mm-hmm. it's crazy to me to think that this was the best they could have had but maybe it is it also speaks to like now in 2020 teams are so much more willing to get young defensemen in the lineup right away right. we've had this movement of like quinn hughes and kale mccarr and, and what whatnot whereas in 2016 i think it was still lagging a bit behind for defensemen for sure. And uh, I think like when, when you institute a team, an under 23 team like this, your your biggest weakness is probably going to be defensemen because they take the longest to develop at the NHL level, uh, or at least they did at this time. Um, and like you mentioned, there was sort of a hesitancy to stick those young guys in the lineup and just let them run free. Uh, and the game has since transitioned to, you know, that being acceptable and that sort of being profitable for these teams. Yep. So, uh, you know, you if you do this team right now, uh, you're going to have much better and more established defensemen. Yep. Um, but that's I think that's that speaks to how the NHL has aged more than like this team. Right. Yep, I think that's fair. Well, I do think at this time, like it was still close enough to Ryan Murray going second overall that I think there was still this hope that he would turn into that defenseman that we were hoping he'd be. But um, my last what is the worst was Johnny Goodrow. Uh, it was great in this game. He's arguably Team North America's best player. He comes in, but his breakaway. So he comes in on the first penalty shot and he comes in slowly and he shoots and the commentators are ripping him for not kind of throwing a fastball at Henrik Lundqvist. And then he has a breakaway later on that he scores on this beautiful move where he comes in at flying at a million miles per hour. And the reason I say it aged the worst is because this season, I watched him miss a million breakaways trying to do the same uh, sort of like deke five hole move. And for whatever reason, he never changed it up. And it's like teams weren't scouting him and knowing that he wanted to do it. And it just aged the worst for me because I watched this and I'm like, he's throwing so many different looks on breakaways at Lundqvist. And in 2020, he was just doing the same old move that wasn't working. So I think he aged the worst just from from that uh, sort of creativity perspective. Okay, fair enough. I also I mean, I hate. I hate the slow, uh, slow penalty shot and shootout breakaways. Like yeah. I, I, I know you can't like put a rule in or whatever to say that you have to go a certain speed, but seeing how how much different Lundqvist approached the 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 real time breakaway versus mm-hmm. the penalty shot, like you give the goaltender so much time to sort of like read you and for a player like Johnny Goudreau who's going in a million miles an hour in the, in the game speed breakaway and still has the hands and the creativity to pull it off like why wouldn't you always use that to your advantage well especially against Lundqvist who's like claim to fame beyond being a great goalie is that he plays the deepest of any goalie right. in the league and it's like you're not gonna like wait him out and make him make a mistake like he's gonna 
be there. So I think you need to like throw your fastball at him. So I agree with that. Um, do you have any other what aged worst, or do you want to get into the uh, turning point? Uh, we can go to the turning point. So where what's the turning point for you here? Because obviously, I think this game, which like any great game, has a lot of sort of peaks and valleys. It's not necessarily like one neat the game entirely flips. Um, but is there any particular point where like one team is just dominating, and then all of a sudden the game script flips for you? Yeah, well, I mean, the first the first like ten minutes, you know, if I had to pick a moment where you know I had to tune in, it's either going to be right off the jump, and mm-hmm. I'm going to watch like the first ten minutes of this game because TNA comes out flying and it's an incredible start, uh, and then you you sort of watch how Sweden has to adjust and has to um, like sort of counter and bounce back, and that's really interesting to me. And then, you know, after they do that, it slows down a little bit and they, they're able to climb back in the game pretty slowly. Um, but, you know, other than that, I'm obviously going to start at the at the overtime because it's yeah. an incredible five minutes of three on three. Um, and, you know, the, that's obviously where you, you find the winner. And so it's either going to be the very start or the very end for me, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the start is just absolutely insane. Uh, Team North America just blitzes them like crazy. Literally the first shift of the game, McDavid comes in and on a breakaway, he gets hooked. It's a delayed penalty. Austin Matthews makes this crazy like dangle off of his knees. On his knees, yeah. Gets the puck to to Riley, I believe, and then he puts in the rebound. Then they get another power play. Goodrow misses a penalty shot. They score again. I think like the turning point for me was it was 2-0, and then there's this play where... Um, Ryan Murray of all people is like kind of near the net and he has a basically like wide open tap in and Lundqvist makes this crazy like diving save to keep it at two nothing and I feel like that kind of kept Sweden in it because I think with a worse goalie like this game could have really gotten out of hand North America was playing that well like it easily could have been four or five six nothing at some point but Lundqvist was playing well enough for Sweden to kind of get their legs and get their bearings and eventually they get a couple power plays. They get McDavid out of the game because all of a sudden Team North America is playing shorthanded for like six minutes in the first. And um, yeah, I, I think at one point they had this stat where McDavid had seven total shifts in the first period and he had three breakaways. Uh, so pretty, pretty crazy performance from him. But it did feel like as the game went along, I don't know how much of it was him just sort of not being able to do it on every single shift and how much of it was Sweden changing their tactics. But I do believe like because they started the game on the opening draw with the Sedins against him, which was an obvious mistake because they're certainly not uh, fleet of foot enough to keep up with them. But then right. as the game went along, they had that like Haglin, uh, Haglin, Silverberg, Kruger, I think, line out there against him, and they sort of really shattered him well. So um, that was a nice adjustment by by the Swedes. I think the most rewatchable moment for me, the, the overtime is absolutely insane. I kind of forgot... Um, until I'd rewatch this, how many chances there were leading up to the McKinnon goal? Like you've yeah, got- same here. I was waiting for it too because like I think they started the the overtime with McKinnon on the ice, and I was like, wait, did they did they get it immediately? <laughs> and I had to remember that it was like in the final minute, basically, of that overtime period that that, that is when the goal actually happened. Well, so Daniel Sedin has two great tries. He has this like two on one where. Mm-hmm. Um, Gibson's totally out of place and he just kind of fans on the puck and misses it. And then he has a breakaway, but then McKinnon has a great chance. Goodrow has a great chance. And Lundqvist just makes these like crazy sort of like shoulder saves where he just fights McDavid. it off. McDavid. McDavid had McDavid, probably the McDavid best has on the side of the net too. Yeah. Right at the, right on the doorstep and, yep. and, uh, and Lundqvist makes an incredible pad save. Like it was an unbelievable save. Um, yeah. Was, there were so many chances in that overtime, but with McKinnon, I don't know what the exact count was, but he I think he was out there for like the entire overtime. Yeah. Almost, right. Because like McDavid yeah, well, had that one shift, but I think he was like in his he had the over like a almost a full minute or a minute and a half of ice time before that his game winning goal. And I remember like thinking like it's probably lucky that he had been out there for so long because you mm-hmm. can kind of see him sort of dog it on the way back back up the ice yeah. and they turn the puck over and Goudreau is able to get it to him because he's he's just like right in front of the net still because he's not hustling hustling back and it ends up working out uh, for McKinnon there and you can kind of see him like he's like oh shoot he's oh shoot I, I like have the puck <laughs> on my stick in front and nobody's here and he sort of like turns it on and, and makes makes the move uh, yeah so I think like he had put 
a serious uh, amount of time into that shift before scoring. There's a breakaway pass to center. Daniel Sedin alone. Great save by Gibson. And back come the North Americans with a minute to go. Nathan McKinnon, Johnny Goodrow. Great move. Shoots. One fist popped that off. And here they come again. At center, Henrik Sedin was all alone. McKinnon's all alone. He shoots. He scores. Well, I think like a full minute prior, I think it was at the start of that shift, he gets the puck and he has a full head of steam. And I think against pretty much any other normal human being in the world, he goes out wide and he gets a breakaway. But unfortunately, the other player defending him is Eric Carlson. And it's funny because Carlson's been dogged so much throughout his career about not being able to defend. But he basically like... He decides, stops him, basically. He decides, yeah. He's like, I'm going to meet you at this point you're trying to go to. And he just basically erases him and just takes the puck from him. And it was crazy because, like, both of the guys are kind of at the peak of their physical powers. And they just collide. And Carlson just takes the puck from him. And you're like, oh, my God. And obviously, McKinnon scores a minute later. But, yeah, it was crazy just seeing uh, two guys going at it like that. And Carlson sort of coming out on top in that one little instance. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did notice that too, and I was like, "Oh, okay, all right, fair enough." <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, biggest heat check performance was there? Anyone that biggest... really just blew you away watching this? Yeah, I mean, it was it was McKinnon. Uh, like that was uh, um, like at the time too, and today. I mean, it was rewatching it. McKinnon and, and uh, Johnny Gaudreau was probably the, the two biggest like wild performances. But I mean, at the time, like I said, McKinnon was sort of like elevated himself to me in the way that I perceive him. Um, and it wasn't just the game winning goal, but obviously that helped. Like the, the way that he played this entire game on both ends of the ice, basically in all three zones, like he's a guy, he, obviously his quickness is unbelievable, but how, how quick he's able to get on the puck and just, you know, create and facilitate uh, with, with the, as the puck possessor, like it, it was, a, it was a great performance from him. It really was. And it felt like as the game went along, he got, like stronger and better because mm-hmm. um, he started off a bit slow. Like clearly the first period was all about McDavid and Matthews, but then as the game went along, McKinnon just sort of started to take over. Um, my biggest heat check performance is Henrik Lundqvist. Okay. It's not often you say this about a guy who gives up four goals and loses, but he was insane in this game. And I think it was like towards the end, like this was one of the last sort of great Henrik Lundqvist performances that we're going to see. But Man, you forget when this guy was at his best, just how dominant he was. The shots were forty-nine to thirty-eight for Team TNA, but I'd say of those forty-nine, like twenty-five of them were Grade A chances. Like he was making some crazy, like sticking out with his pad. I mean, the save you mentioned about on McDavid in the overtime was like that was just a pure sort of I've been doing this for my entire life, and this is just a reflex move. Like he just kicks out his pad out of nowhere and stops it right at the goal line. Um, he was out of his mind, and and really, I think the only reason why this game went to overtime in the first place because for large stretches it felt like tna could have scored so many more goals but he was just on another level i thought yeah and it was like a perfect way for him to get ready for the season because he this was like peak lundquist <laughs> playing for teams that didn't give him much defense and just made him do all the work uh to get him by so uh you know you 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 kind of feel bad for the guy like you can't even get much of a break uh while playing for Team Sweden, that usually you say like a passing of the torch moment is generally considered like a good thing, <laughs> yeah. but he really passed the torch to John Gibson as like the goalie who gets the least help from his team in this game. He's like, mm-hmm. all right, I've done my share. John, you're going to be the guy now who gets absolutely no run support or any help from your team. And uh, it's been kind of sad to see, but um Biggest that guy. Like watching this game, obviously, I think this category is tough for this because it's two all star teams, basically. So there's mm-hmm. very, and it happened only four years ago. So there's very few names involved that are like, whoa, I haven't thought about that person in a long time because a lot of these guys have been so prevalent to the NHL since. But um, was there anyone watching this game where you were like, I can't believe this person was involved in this? I guess you, you were saying Brendan Saad kind of blew you away that he was on this team. Yeah, but that was more from a from just like an age standpoint. Yeah, right. yeah, and uh, yeah, I think I think Ryan Murray is one where it's like you definitely wouldn't throw him into this group. Uh, thinking back on it, um, you know, we, we've we've gone over like why he was there and right. sort of the justification for it. But like, 
it's surprising looking back, seeing all this talent and what it's been able to, to develop into and then seeing Ryan Murray there. Um, I do have like a funny Ryan Murray anecdote with regards to TNA. Um, one of my buddies, like during the course of this tournament, fell in love with the team, was like, this is awesome. I'm going to buy some merch. He went to go to the to the website and every TNA player had sold out. Like people were jumping on the bandwagon like crazy. Every mm-hmm. TNA player had sold out except for Ryan Murray. So to like to this day, he has a he has a Ryan Murray TNA shirt. So that's like the only reason why I ever remember that he's on this team. And then on uh, on the Sweden side, I mean, Louis Erickson is a guy. Right. I mean, uh, he's not a guy who I totally forget about because I'm a Bruins fan. Right. But like. He's a guy. Looking back on it, you're like, "Wow, okay, this was the height of Louis Erickson, basically." And uh, and it's surprising that he is such a uh, like a, a key factor for this team. I mean, Sweden had some guys that were hurt. Like I think Zetterberg was was supposed to be on this team, but he got hurt. Like Raquel, a few others. So they kind of had to call up some guys who probably wouldn't have been on the team in, in an ideal world. But that's what made this so beautiful. Where. Team North America was clearly a collection of like the next generation of superstars, whereas Team Sweden was, and this is what has made them successful in these international tournaments, was like a team. Like they had like this like Marcus Kruger on the fourth line, and they just had guys like they were like role players and knew what they had to do in limited uh, ice time. The guy for me though was Patrick Berglund. Um, you know, he's on the blues at this time. I think he's coming off or the following season, he scores a career high in goals. He signs a big contract. Then he gets traded for Ryan O'Reilly. As we know now, he basically walks away from like 12.5 million, uh, because of mental health issues. And he wants to like work on other stuff in his life. And it sounds like he has because he's back to playing hockey, uh, in the Swedish elite league. So I just wanted to, to mention that, but I'm like, I hadn't thought about him in ages, and uh, he played a pretty big role in this team. I mean, there was like Carl Soderberg. This Swedish team was uh, yeah. was pretty interesting, but their blue line was amazing, and that's what made this such a great matchup because Team North America was like all forwards, whereas Team Sweden had like five of the best 12 defensemen in the world at this time on their team. Like It was a pretty stacked group. And Soderberg played with uh, with Landeskog mm-hmm. in, yeah, uh, yeah. in the tournament and future teammates, mm-hmm. so... Uh, I don't. When did Soderberg go to Colorado? Like he was probably pretty, there at the time. Yeah. You think so? Okay. Oh. I mean, we can look that up. But yeah, I was around there, and he was there for a couple of years before they traded him to uh, to Arizona last year. Um, yeah. Are you looking it up? This is this this yeah, is, this is the best now. podcasting when uh, when, you look, <laughs> when you're looking up where Carl Soderberg was I'm playing just, in 2015. I'm just curious. I uh, you know I I noticed that and I was like, huh, I wonder. So he went to Colorado in fifteen sixteen. So yeah, he'd been there for a year. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So they had that had that connection going. Um, Doc and Eddie's commentary corner. So we already mentioned it was Jim Houston and Craig Simpson on the CBC broadcast. The thing that that Matt Murray John Gibson thing that they kept going on about bugged me, but I thought otherwise it was a good broadcast because they really did a nice job of capturing um, the vibe of this game. Like they had that sort of serious playoff intensity that you'd hear them call game four of the Stanley cup final. But they also, it was kind of like tongue in cheek, kind of wink, wink. Like we get that this is fun. And I, I appreciated that. Cause I think it's in the wrong hands. It's really easy for them to either sort of be condescending and make the game not feel relevant or take yeah, like it dismissive. like dismissive. So- or like if you had Pierre Maguire, Maguire out there and just over the top, like talking about who Carl Soderberg played in junior junior A with in Sweden, you'd be like, all right, like this is getting out of hand. They really struck a nice balance between the two, I thought, and I really appreciated that. Yeah, I mean, if Pierre did this game, it would have been unbearable he because been he out of expect- Especially with with TNA and oh like how many young players like you'd be referring to just all their their like their junior teams yeah. and where they'd come from and like draft stories and all that and it would have been absolutely unbearable. I, I thought that this is the first time that I'd watched the the CBC uh, broadcast, but I mean I thought that it was great. Um, like I, I thought that like you mentioned they perfectly captured like what it should have been and there was never a moment where i was other than the matt murray thing where i was like oh this is this is like this is tough i thought it was a really good broadcast and every call was sort of aligned with what was happening 
Yeah. Oh my god. If Pierre Maguire was doing this game, I think it's like his head would have exploded, like just like a robot malfunctioning because <laughs> of just information overload. He would have been talking about Mark Shifley with the Barry Colts and the London Knights, and it just like it would have been an OHL just disaster. So I did. Uh, I did. Uh, I did watch one of the intermission things, and they talked about uh, Phil Kessel's tweet about being mm. left off of of yeah. uh, Team and USA. His interview, right? Yeah, yeah, and yep. Eric Stepan said that it would have been, would have been uh, disrespectful if he was talking about about Team USA, and it's like the the panel that they had and the the intermission report was like, you know, it's it was a it was a bad move from Kessel or whatever, and I I thought at that, that age kind of poorly. I mean, everybody there's no there, I think that everybody kind of agrees that the, that roster building was tough yes. yeah. for Team USA, and um, I think that Phil had every right to be uh, feel disrespected and be bitter about about what happened, so um, that aged pretty poorly for me. Well, they, yeah, yeah, this was a, I remember this was a disaster for Team USA, that's right. Um, all right, most unanswerable questions. You got any? Um, I don't know, like, I, I guess... How how would this game have been different if Matt Murray had been in that? Why we had why has this event not been repeated? I thought that was one of mine. Yeah. Um, what about this? What would a U twenty three team look like if they had done this in twenty twenty? Um, or I guess if they were going to do it in twenty twenty, it's interesting because you'd still have a lot of the star forwards like McDavid, Matthews, Eichel would still be on it which is crazy and speaks to how much they've accomplished in such a short period of time in their careers. But you'd also, I think team North America would probably be, I don't know if they'd be better than Canada, but what would put that team over the top. And if we did a 2020 version was their defense would be Kale McCarr, Quinn Hughes, Thomas Shabbat, Charlie McAvoy and Zach Wierenski. And then whoever you want as a sixth guy. And like, that's such a superior group to the one that they had in this tournament and in this game in particular. And you'd basically have all the same forwards, if not even better versions of themselves. And you'd add like the Kachucks, uh, yeah. Marner, Barzal. Like, you know, I think this honestly America might be like the favorite. Yeah, yeah, they, they might be because a lot of the like t- Team Canada guys are kind of like on their last legs already. So it would be a pretty crazy group, I think. Who would be a net? That's the question. Carter Hart, maybe. I don't know. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else that's kind of uh, still young enough. Um, that is a good question, though. Yeah, yeah. that might. That might. Right. I mean, I, I I doubt they'd have the the crop of uh, Hella Buck Gibson and Matt Murray. Yeah, I was gonna say like I, I think that this that this team was put in at like the perfect time in terms of um, like the incoming crop where you had Matthews, you had Eichel, you had McDavid, like these new guys who were like so exciting and so raw. But like, I think now honestly might be the perfect time to have this team because you have those guys who have developed into like elite superstars and you still have these, these young guys who are very exciting. Some of them very raw. Um, But like you, I think there would have been a, 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 a greater mix of like elite talent or elite players now and young guys to, to bend off of. Like, I think that this, this team, uh, the 2016 team was carried by the raw players. Yep. And that yeah, wouldn't certainly. be the case now. Like, cause those players would be still on the team and, st- and be ex- exponentially better. So, I mean, that's the, I hadn't thought about it, but like, that's a scary thought to have this team now. Yeah. I think yeah, just with the, the the discrepancy in the defensive ability in terms of the players they'd be having. I mean, it'd be the five man units they could have out there with like Hughes and Makar, and then some of these mm-hmm. forwards. It would be pretty pretty scary. Um, yeah, I think the goalie would probably be Carter Hart, maybe like Mackenzie Blackwood. I don't know. It, it certainly wouldn't be the uh, the caliber of of the guys in net, but I'm not sure it would matter. Um, here's a good one: Is this the biggest game Austin Matthews has won in front of a Toronto crowd? <laughs> Uh, it, it honestly might be. It might be. Uh, I, I was mostly joking. Um, I it might be. I think it might be. <laughs> um, what I'm would, not joking. What would have happened if Team North America had actually advanced and played Canada in the semis? It was funny because uh, on the oral history, all the guys were obviously like, oh, like it, in a one game elimination, anything could happen. And I think it was such a confident group that they certainly would have given Canada a fight. But then you look at the Canada roster at this time and it was just 
it was comical how good that team was. So I'm not sure they would have been able to keep up with them. But just because of their speed and how they like threw Sweden for a loop in this game, for example, I, I think it would have made for an interesting matchup. Yeah, I think it would have been interesting. But I, I mean, if you, you had to to have me pick, I'll, I'll I'd go with Canada there. I mean, just because you can you can see how Sweden got them to adjust their game and like there were certain stretches where you could tell that TNA had, had not lost its mojo but like wasn't wasn't clicking in the way that they were at other points in the game yeah. um so it'll, like I think that Canada with like the right coaching and obviously like their, their talent and their players um they could have slowed down TNA and made them play off of their game and I mean, just being able to hold down that level of talent on Team Canada is always going to be tough. But to ask ask it from guys who are 23 and younger and who are again really raw, I think that would have been a tough thing to handle. Yeah, Ryan Murray defending Sidney Crosby in the <laughs> yeah. cycle would have been a bad look for them. Um, my last unanswerable question was, uh, and I feel like we've been talking about this for years, but Richard Gromberg, the uh, Swedish coach. At this time, he didn't have the uh, epic beard he has these days, but it feels like for years we've been like, when is he going to come to the NHL and coach? And uh, he's in the Swiss League right now. I think he's under contract next year as well, but I imagine he's going to continue to be sort of a trendy NHL coaching candidate, especially considering all the success he's had with the Swedish national team at various tournaments. So um, I'd like to see that because I think the NHL could certainly use an influx of different uh, different thinkers and different mm-hmm. nationalities and different individuals. So uh, that'd be nice. But that's about it that I have for answer- unanswerable questions. Um, let's get to Apex Mountain, which is a tough one for this game because obviously Team TNA is 23 and younger. So... It's kind of sad to suggest that players on that team are have peaked at this point of their career, but um, I have one. Maybe the best isn't behind him, but it feels like at this time, Shane Gostisbehere, this was the time when... Because keep in mind, he came into the league in that 2015-16 season, and he just blew everyone away. Remember like his skating with that mm-hmm. like uh, Tomahawk movie does or whatever, uh, the three-on-three overtime... He had 17 goals as a defenseman in just 64 games. Everyone was tweeting the ghost and the bear emojis to say his mm-hmm. name. This was like the time when I feel like Shane Goss's bear love was at an apex. Yeah, I mean, I mean he also had, had won a union and like uh, like he was a like a, a college hockey superstar. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this was for sure. Um, I, I remember like seeing him. Uh, today, when I was watching, and be like, "Oh, okay." I for, for, didn't realize that he was on this team, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's probably like the best pick for for TNA for sure. I mean, uh, other than I guess Brennan Saad, go maybe. Or, yeah, but I think I think Brandon Saad, like, yeah, maybe at the, at the time, like his peak, but I, I still feel like Brandon Saad is a really, really good player. Yeah, um, not not. So much as like the holes that we've seen from from Gosses Bear, hmm. um, you know Ryan Murray is another one too. I don't. I wouldn't necessarily say that he's at like the height of his powers, but like he might be at the height of or close to the height of his uh, like hype. Right. And the fact again, you mentioned the fact that he like he, he it's a big reason why he's even on the team to begin with. Yes. So um, for TNA, I think those are the the, the oh I guess Matt Murray too. Oh yeah. Well, he wins the cup the next year, but he's right. like Flurry kind of carries them against the Capitals mm-hmm. that year because he was banged up. So I think certainly like coming off of that 2016 Cup, Matt Murray like his stock was he was considered like the number one young goalie in the league. Right, um, and then obviously on on uh, on the Sweden side, there's there's Louis, um, yes. Louis Eriksson. Um, so yeah, I think that like there there are a number of guys who kind of were like. Edit. I guess it's sort of like the same question as like what hasn't aged well. Mm. Well, Eric Carlson. So this was the year I forgot 2015-16. That was the peak because Drew Doughty wins a Norris and that was sort of the peak eye test versus using numbers uh, mm-hmm. debates and they were raging pretty aggressively at this time. It's still stunning to look back now and see that someone thought that Eric Carlson wasn't the best defense in the league that season. He had 82 points and played 29 minutes a game. Insane. Uh, and then in 2016-17, I think this like two-year window is his peak because in 2016-17, he basically drags just a terrible, uh, or I guess under 
under-equipped Senators team to within one goal of a Stanley Cup final appearance. So on one leg, yes, yeah. Um, so yeah, that two-year window, I think, is 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 Carlson's peak. A lot of their defensemen, like because this is Matthias Ekholm's on this team, and the following season, PK Subban comes to Nashville, and they become like their top pairing that carries them to the Cup final. You've got Strawman, him and Hedman were playing as the top pairing for the Lightning, mm-hmm. who had made the Cup final in 2015. So. Um, there's a lot of guys there. Henrik Lundqvist, I think this was his last great year. He kind of falls off after this, but I had this stat for you. So from for this decade, from 2007 to 2016, Henrik Lundqvist plays 670 games if you combine the regular season and the playoffs, and he has plus 326 goals saved above expected. Oh, my God. <laughs> so it was just an all-time decade, and uh, in this game, he's great, and... um yeah, I think I think that this is kind of like his last last legs of his apex. But uh, yeah, those are some good ones. Um, all right, who won the game? Who won it's the game? Be McKinnon, right? Yeah, just in terms of like a, the like the biggest takeaway. Uh, yeah. yeah, I would say it's 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 probably Nathan McKinnon. Yeah, he gets better as the game goes along. He scores the winner. Um, it felt like he was out there for the entirety of the overtime. The move that you mentioned, the gifable move that he puts on Lundqvist, there mm-hmm. is that they show like three or four replays, but the last one. The slow motion one. Yeah. He brings the puck forward. Lundqvist reaches out to poke up and then he just pulls just it back and goes around too. him. And then it goes like, but it's so, it's not quite as beautiful as like a wet jump shot that goes through the net and you hear the net make that noise in basketball. But like how the puck bounces off of the top of the net and comes out right away is so Satisfying. Yeah, I mean, the, like the move itself is unbelievable, but the shot too. I think I forgot how good the shot was. Like, because I mean, it, it didn't need to be because he he had had him beaten, but like he just roofs it, and it's just it's like the perfect hockey goal for me, just in terms of like how sexy it is. Like, it is so buttery, it is so sexy, uh, and for me, that was like, oh my god, Nathan McKinnon has like all world skill. Yeah, he sort of put that speed and skill into one package, and it was kind of foreshadowing of what he'd become. Uh, on Craig Cousins' oral history that I've mentioned, he has this quote. He says, after the game, I saw Lundqvist drug testing after the game, which I thought was funny. <laughs> um, I would have drug tested him, too, after this performance. That's how good he was. Um, he was pit- he, McKinnon says, he was pissed he poke-checked. Lundqvist said, I should have been more patient. McKinnon's response to that was, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I be more patient. Do you want? I mean, do you want to let a guy like Nathan McKinnon just dangle on you and be more patient for that? I, I thought that going for the poke check, he was so close to getting it. He was. He, he was, was so, so close. close to getting it, and McKinnon just has like all world hands and was able to just pull it out of reach. Like I think the poke check, I have no issue with Lundqvist trying to go for it there. I think the scary thing is McKinnon also does have this quote where he actually walks you through his thought process at the time. And like part of it is certainly like a reactionary. You see a stick coming towards you, so you pull it back. But like it does seem like he legitimately thought to, through his head what he needed to do to like make that happen. And that sort of processing speed is, is I guess, why they're Insane. superstars and why not. For even even for Nathan McKinnon to be able to talk about that moment and be able to like have a thought process is insane because for me I would 100% black out in that moment and like there's not a single thing that I would remember thinking at that time like it's just would just crumple and you just go down (laughs) to the ice but even if I did something cool like uh, the highlight of my athletic career is I was playing uh, outfield in uh, in high school and like a ball had gone over my head and just like reactionary I stuck out my hand and I caught it with my bare hand running backwards towards the warning track and like I I couldn't even begin to tell you what the hell I was thinking in that moment. It was a pure reactionary thing. And like, I couldn't walk you through that at all. So like for, for somebody to be able to like be able to process that in the moment and like have reactionary split second reaction time is crazy. Like consciously. Yeah. Well, if this quarantine goes on any longer, maybe we might have to do a full rewatchable on you making that catch. I, I, I swear to God, it's the biggest regret of my life that that wasn't on tape because I would have for sure made like Sports Center top ten. It was an unbelievable play, but it, I feel a little bit dirty like making it because 
I'm not nearly talented to make that play. It was just yeah. total, total reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas this sounds like Nathan McKinnon intended to actually do this. Right. Uh, which yeah. is scary. Yeah. And he has um, since proven that he is, uh, he he's very capable. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right, Pete, this was a blast, man. I'm glad we got to do this. Any, uh, any sort of closing thoughts or takeaways from this game? I think we kind of covered it from most angles. Yeah, no, I had, I had a lot of fun. Uh, it was great to be able to watch hockey and to be able to talk about it. Um, so I, I appreciate you bringing this to uh, to my table and allowing yeah. me to to re-enter the the hockey zone and be able to talk about it in a in a fun manner. Yeah, well, this was a blast, man. I'm glad we got to do this. I'm glad we finally got you on the show. I'm glad we got to do something together. And uh, it only took a, a global pandemic to bring us together. Seriously, so, um, you must have was, really been desperate. Yeah, yeah was <laughs> grasping at straws. Um, do you want to plug some stuff? Where can people find you? What are you working on these days? Uh, yeah, I'm doing the, the a daily newsletter for CBS Sports. That's been a ton of fun. Um, it's basically like the the crux of my job now. Um, so if you want to subscribe to it, just it's the CBS Sports uh, HQ newsletter uh, every morning. Just bring you the 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 sports news that you need to know. I'll inject some humor into it. We have a mailbag every week. It's it's a whole lot of fun. So um, that's basically what I've been doing lately, and it's uh, I'm very much enjoying it. All right, man. Well, everyone should check that out. I'm glad you, you came on. Thanks for taking the time and uh, stay safe and we'll chat soon. Okay, man? Absolutely. You too. Have a good one. The Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast.